Deuteronomy chapter number 32, I want you to look with me at verse number 14. Deuteronomy chapter number 32, verse number 14 says this, Butter of kine and milk of sheep, with the fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats, with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And then it says this, And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. The title of the sermon this morning is The Pure Blood of the Grape. The Pure Blood of the Grape. I'm going to be preaching on the subject of wine in the Bible. And more specifically, I'm going to be proving without any shadow of a doubt from multiple angles, Scripture upon Scripture, in so many different ways, that there are two different types of wine in the Bible. When you see the word wine, in the Bible come up. Sometimes it is referring to unfermented juice. Most of the time grape juice, but it can be any type of fruit juice that is unfermented. That means that it is not alcoholic. But then there are times when you see the same word wine that is used in your English King James Bible and it is referring to fermented grape juice. It is referring to alcohol. And I'm going to be showing this over and over and over again this morning. Now, the purpose of my sermon is not to stand up here and to spit and to stomp. I'm not trying to necessarily give you specifically a warning about how bad alcohol is. I'm going to touch on that for a minute, but that's not the purpose of my sermon this morning. It's more so doctrinal. I want people to understand. I want people to have the head knowledge. I want you to walk out of here and know that there is not a shadow of a doubt that you would ever believe when someone tries to teach you that every time the word wine comes up in the Bible, it's alcoholic. Because here's the thing. This is why this matters. If drinking wine is sinful, if it is sinful to drink any sort of alcohol in the Bible, and you have someone standing up and teaching that wine, every time that the word wine shows up in the Bible, that it is alcoholic, well, then that person is without a doubt condoning of sin. He is without a doubt, whether he understands it or not, he is teaching you that it is okay to do this when it is actually not. So it is a major transgression, and this is an extremely important subject to understand the word wine when it appears in the Bible. So I want you to look with me here. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter number 29. Deuteronomy chapter number 29. Some of the material that I'm going to preach this morning you're familiar with and some of it you are not. I want you to look with me first. We're going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter number 29, verse number 6. A very important verse. I want you to notice what the Lord says. This is God speaking. He says this. Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink. And then he says this. That ye might know that I am the Lord your God. Now, very often, I mean scores and scores of times throughout the Bible, you'll see the word wine coupled with strong drink. And you can tell by the context that it's talking about alcohol. Strong drink in the Bible is referring to alcohol. Now, right here when he's speaking to the children of Israel, you'll notice that he very clearly said to the children of Israel that you have not drank, or what is the word that he used? He just says drunk there, wine or strong drink. So he's speaking about the children of Israel and he makes a statement, a blanket statement that they had not drank wine or strong drink. It's clearly speaking about alcohol. So what is he saying that they have not drank? 
They have not drank as a whole, of course, right? He's speaking to the children of Israel. He's saying that they have not drank wine or strong drink, at least in the sense that he did not condone of it. He did not put his blessing upon it. He was not putting his stamp of approval upon it. And he goes forward and he says this. It's interesting. He says this afterwards. That ye might know that I am the Lord your God. So notice that. He did not allow them to do this, to, to drink of this. Why? That ye might know that I am the Lord your God. So it has to do with holiness. It has to do with doing what's right of God here and, and them knowing that He is the Lord God, right? And He did not allow them or He did not want them to do what? To drink wine, to consume wine or strong drink. I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 32. Deuteronomy chapter number 32. And I want you to look with me right now at verse number 31. Deuteronomy chapter number 32. I want you to look with me at verse number 31. This is a very, very uh, significant passage when it comes to this subject. It says this, For their rock is not as our rock. Now, when it says not as our rock, that is referring to the Lord. That is referring to God. Look at verse 37. And he shall say, Where are their gods? their rock in whom they trusted. So notice that when it says their rock, it's talking about their gods. When it says our rock, it's talking about who? The Lord. It's talking about God, right? Jehovah. So it says this, their rock is not as our rock. So they have a rock and we have a rock. And then it says this, even our enemies themselves being judges. So even our enemies know that we have different, right? Different rocks. Then it says this in verse 32, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom. Now, they had a rock and we had a rock. What's the implication here? Exactly. They have a vine and we have a vine. That's why it says their vine is of the vine of Sodom. So it's talking bad about their vine, right? It's talking bad about the vine that they have, saying we have our rock, theirs is bad, ours is good. And then it says they have their vine. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Now I want you to notice the description specifically about their vine. Not about our vine, and it's criticizing the vine that they have. It says their vine, or I'm sorry, yes, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom. And what is Sodom and Gomorrah characterized? Holiness or wickedness? Evil, wickedness, right? Perversion, sin. So their vine comes from Sodom. It's the type of vine that the Sodomites would have. Sodom and Gomorrah would have, right? And of the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of gall, right? Referring to, you know, this would be extracted from gallbladder, right? What is it? It's bitter. It's, it's acidic. It's po it has poison in it. It, sa it says further, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Their grapes are grapes of gall. And then it says, their clusters are bitter. Also, again, referring to the fact that it is it is bitter, right? Verse 33, we get a lot more information about it. It says this, their wine. Now that's what it was referring to when it talked about the grapes, when it talked about the vine. It says, their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of ass. So we need to understand first the first statement. That's extremely important, that we both have two different rocks. We have a rock, our rock is pure, our rock is holy, our rock is clean, our rock is righteous. They have a rock as well, don't they? They have a rock that's unclean, they have a rock that's unholy. It's not sanctified, it's not pure, it's wicked, it's sinful, right? Then he says, they're vine. So the implication is very clear. We have a, vine, we have a rock, they have a rock. 
we have a vine they have a vine and their vine is bad their vine is not like our vine just like their rock is not like our rock and what is different about their vine what are the bad things about their vine that's different than our vine it's bitter right it says that it's bitter it's gall it's of gall again talking about it being bitter acidic poisonous and then it goes even further and it just clearly states and it says this their wine different kind of wine than we have right their wine is the poison of dragons so it's poisonous the wine that they have is poisonous this is clearly a, a critique from our perspective about their wine something bad about their wine and you know what's the problem with the wine that they have it's poisonous the clear indication is that the wine that we have is what not poisonous but the wine that they have is poisonous and what else is it and the cruel venom of asps. Now, here's the thing. We have, a we have a type of wine. They have a type of wine. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what the Bible's speaking about here. Now, uh, there's something that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read this to you first before I go any further. So this was taken from The Guardian in 2011. The Guardian in 2011. I'm sure everyone here is aware that alcohol is poisonous. Wine, when it has been fermented, it's poison. Right? That's why you are referred to when you drink it, you are called what? Intoxicated, right? That means you have become intoxicated because you have taken toxic or toxins, it would be, inside of your body. And, and not only that, if you drink a mass amount of alcohol, what, is it, what do people get? What is it called? Alcohol poison, right? Or poisoning, right? Now, here's the thing. You're already poisoned before that. But there's a point where you've drank so much of the poison that it causes you to have side effects and to be throwing up and just, just extremely sick. Even before you get alcohol poison, poisoning, it's very common, anyone that's ever, you know, uh, you know God forbid, has, has been around people that will drink alcohol, even when they don't have alcohol poisoning, what will they do? They'll do all types of, of things like throwing up, getting sick. They, they, they obviously are not in their right mind. What's the reason? Because their mind and their brain has been harmfully poisoned. It has been affected in a harmful way. That's why you're not in your natural state because there are poisons that are flowing through your blood that are negatively impacting your brain and your body because there's poison inside of your body. There are toxins inside of your body. The Guardian in 2011 there was an article and I'm going to read to you. It says this. This is the header. There is no such thing as a safe level of alcohol consumption. And when you read this further he's talking about percentage-wise of what is above what's considered alcoholic that can cause you to be intoxicated. He explains that. It says this, the idea that drinking small amounts of alcohol will do you no harm is a myth, claims Professor David Nutt. Alcohol is a toxin that kills cells such as microorganisms, which is why we use it to preserve food and sterilize skin, needles, etc. Alcohol kills humans too. A dose only four times as high as the amount that would make blood levels exceed uh, drink, drink driving limits in the UK can kill. The toxicity of alcohol is worsened because in order uh, for it to be cleared from the body it has to be metabolized. And then he goes on to say uh, any food or drink contaminated with the amount of acetaldehyde that a unit of alcohol produces would be immediately banned as having an acceptable health 
risk. Saying that it should be if people were to actually acknowledge the fact that it harms and hurts human beings as well. There is no debate that alcohol is poisonous. The debate would be for people that would try to say that it's allowable is that oh in small amounts or in smaller amounts. That's why the header here starts off with there is no such thing as a safe level of alcohol consumption. Right? So there is no debate. So when we look at the word wine in the Bible, we can see just right here, very clearly, very plainly from Deuteronomy chapter number 32, that the Israelites have a wine, don't they? But also, those that are wicked, those that are sinful, the enemies of the Lord, right? They have their wine. And one of the, the vast differences between the Israelites, or God's people, their wine, and the wine that the wicked has, is that the wine that the wicked has is poison. The wine that the wicked has is the cruel venom of afs. What does that describe? Describes what we would refer to as alcohol, doesn't it? So if that's poisonous, then what is, this is a critique from the Israelites or God's people's perspective. Then what is the difference in the Israelites' wine? It's not poisonous. It's not toxic. It doesn't have toxins. That's why they are critiquing them for it being poisonous. I want you to look at now with me, go back to where we began in Deuteronomy chapter number 32 verse number 14. Deuteronomy chapter number 32 verse number 14. It's not a coincidence that he mentions this prior to verses 31 there through 33. And he makes a very clear statement and it says this, Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And then he says this, thou didst drink, it says, the pure blood of the grape. Now does that sound alcoholic? Does that sound like it's toxic? Now just in the beginning, this will be good to go ahead and explain this in the very beginning, those that may not be familiar with it, the process of fermentation. What exactly the process of fermentation is. So uh, any, you know, any drink that contains sugar, if it sits around it will begin to break down. And you can look into it more. You know, there's certain chemicals that are explained of how they break down and what it turns into and, and how it mixes with other things such as, you know, air and all sorts of other things, right? But it will start to break down and basically what's happening is that is the process of fermentation over time. You can add things to it to, to, to speed that process up and to cause it to have higher levels of alcohol. But what happens is sugar, when it's mixed with air, will break down and the molecules of sugar will become what we know as alcoholic. What, you know what it's doing is this. It's decaying. It's rotting. What's happening is, is it's sitting around and it's spoiling. What happens to bread if you just let it sit around? What happens to food if you just let it sit around? It decays. It rots. It spoils. What does it turn to? It becomes moldy. That's exactly what is happening to a drink it's organic. That's what happens to living things. They rot, they spoil, they get bad. It's breaking down. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And that's what's being described there. But do you know what it is? Right when you, you, know, you get it from the grape, do you know what it is? It's pure. It hasn't been decayed. It hasn't spoiled yet. It hasn't went bad. It's pure. And that's why the Bible says here that what the Israelites were drinking was what? the pure blood of the grape. Do you know what it wasn't? It wasn't poison. 
Do you know what it wasn't? It wasn't bad. It hadn't decayed. It wasn't spoiled. It hadn't rotted. It hadn't fermented. You know what? It, there was two types of rocks and there were two types of wine. There are two different types of wine in the Bible. There is an unfermented, which is pure, which is good, which is how God made it for us. But then there's also another type of wine. And it's poisonous. And it's rotten. And it's decayed. And it's spoiled. And it, the Bible says that it's venomous. It's the, it's the venom of asp. I want you to turn with me now. Go to... Um, I want, you, I want to have you go to Genesis chapter number 41. Just sit there for just a minute. Genesis chapter number 41. Now, some people, when they hear this, they think they act like it's totally and absolutely ridiculous. Right? Have, have you ever encountered this? That people would think that it's stupid. That you would say, hey, the word wine in the Bible sometimes fermented and sometimes unfermented. So if, if you have never encountered that, then I've experienced it enough with many a people that I can make up for you not encountering it because I've literally tried to show this to people before at least 50 to 100 times not even exaggerating definitely over 50 times in my life I've had people try to mock the idea to me when I explain to them wine in the Bible is sometimes fermented and sometimes is unfermented now number one that just shows that they are ignorant of their modern dictionary definition of the word wine because the third the third definition, if you just look it up on dictionary.com, you can do so on Merriam-Webster's, whatever your particular source, the resource that you like to go to, that's fine. Dictionary.com, the third definition says this, the juice fermented or unfermented of various other fruits or plants used as a beverage, sauce, etc. So even in your modern vernacular of English today, it says that the word wine, when you read it sometimes in literature, any type of literature, can be unfermented juice. It can be talking about non-alcoholic juice. But even worse than that, if you're speaking to a Christian and you explain to them, hey, the word wine is sometimes unfermented juice or fermented juice. You explain that to them and they mock that idea. Not only is it bad that they're not familiar with the dictionary definition today, in our current era or time, it's, it's even worse that they don't know, if they're a King James Bible only person, that this is something that commonly occurs in the Bible. How many words are there in the Bible, that if you just took our modern dictionary, our modern definition, the most commonly used definition, and applied it directly to that word, would you, it would put you into mass error. Aren't there multiple words in the Bible that have changed meaning? There are. You, know, you can find areas wherein these, these uh, meanings are used. You can find, you know, maybe, you know, like the word let. How do we use the word let 99.9% .9 of the time? To allow. Right? To, to allow someone to do something. But do you know how the, what the word let means in the Bible? To, to stop someone. It's the exact opposite. Now, 99% of the time, when we use that, we're saying allow. But there is, I, I think I gave this example one time, you may remember, there is a, a context where we use it today like that. And it's talking about, in, in, uh, we, it would be in tennis. When someone hits the tennis ball, what happens? If it hits the net, you know what it's called? Let. Do you know what that means? The ball wasn't able to get to the other side. The net prevented it from going over to the other side. It's being used exactly how the Bible uses the word let. So if you took, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time of the usage of modern day definition of the word let and tried to apply it to the Bible's 
word let, would you, would you be able to walk away with the uh, proper understanding or understanding of what's being taught? No. So if a person tries to mock that idea, it shows that they are not, you know, they're not a serious student of the Bible. You haven't sat down and studied the Bible all the time, even words that I thought that I understood, maybe words that are kind of rare, that I thought that I understood, I realized that, hey, there's a little slightly different slant to that in the Bible. Still, even today, I'll read constantly and I'll notice that's being used in a different way. And I'll go and I'll study the etymology of the word and morphology. You can look up, you know, uh, how the word changes over time. How the word changes in its writing, how the word changes in its meaning. And you can learn that words change over time. This is, very, this is something that is very basic. It shows that you're ignorant of literature and just basic vocabulary and how words change, number one, and even your own modern dictionary definition. And number two, it shows that you are not a serious student of the Bible. Now, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, you know, a, 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 a caveat that maybe you just have it pounded in your head that the word wine means alcoholic. And you just have this mental block that you just can't get it out of your mind that it has to be alcohol. Maybe that's what's your case. But you know what you need to do? You need to take a step back and study the word wine every time it's used in the Bible. And you independently and personally will come to the clear understanding that there is their wine and then there's our wine. That there is poisonous wine and then there is pure wine. It's taught all throughout the Bible. Now I want to show you a perfect example of this and it's, and it's uh, you know, it's, I don't believe that this is coincidental. I believe it's that common is why this occurs this way. In Genesis chapter number 41, we learn that the word corn has changed in meaning. So I'm going to give you a perfect example of this in the introduction still while we're here of how words change. And I, I hope everyone still remembers this. It's good to keep these things in mind, like in this case, where you can reference back and give someone another clear example. So here in Genesis chapter number 41, I want you to look with me at verse number <clears throat> 49. The Bible says this, And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until it left numbering, for it was without number. Now this is of course talking about the time when Joseph was given the position over the land of Egypt by Pharaoh. He was supposed to maintain during the famine and during the years of plenty and have enough to be able to feed everyone and to keep everyone alive. That was his job, was to maintain the food supply to keep everyone alive. Now here we see Joseph gathering in corn. Now, number one, what was the dreams? Everybody remembers the dreams that he had, right? What, what was pictured in the dreams, right? It just said corn, right? It talks about, you know, uh, stocks of corn that were growing up, right? So we have the, the, you know, the stocks of corn that are growing up. Here we see him gathering in corn, right? Now, I want you to look with me here in Genesis 49. I want you to, or I'm sorry, 41. Go to verse 54 now. Same chapter. Actually, we'll read verse 53. That's where the context begins. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. So what was he gathering in first? Corn, right? Look at verse 54. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was what? Bread. I want you to notice that. There was bread. Now what did he gather in? He gathered up and gathered in corn. But notice what they have now. Bread. What he was gathering up was the seed. What he was gathering up was the seed of the wheat and the barley in its raw form. But now it's referring to the end product. And what is it? It's bread. There was bread. People had bread because he stored up all of the corn. They were able to have bread to eat. So notice there that 
Corn is not just referring to what we would think of as the crop of corn. It's a very specific term today, right? Corn. But at this time, corn was actually referring to any sort of seed. And in this case, it was referring to that which you can make uh, bread. And what can you make bread from? Wheat and barley. That's what the Bible, those are the only two things uh, that the Bible mentions that they made bread of. Wheat and barley. So that corn that was being gathered had to have been wheat and barley in a seed type of form, right? I want you to look further. Look at, uh, look at verse 55. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, watch this, go unto Joseph, what he saith do. So what is he giving him? He's giving them corn. But what are they getting? Bread. That's because the word corn is not the same exact definition that we use today. Now, if you tried to apply that, you would be in error. You'd be wrong about what you were you know, uh, uh, what you thought that the text was, think was teaching. Look at verse 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph, watch this, for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. They bought corn, and they made bread of it. Now, you can't make bread from, you know, what we call corn today. That's because it's referring to wheat and barley when it says corn. It's a seed in its raw form. Go to uh, Genesis 47. We're going to see this again. We're going to look at this a few different times. This is important. Genesis chapter number 47. Look at verse number 12. <clears throat> now that I've explained it in detail, I'm not going to explain it each time in these other examples. It says in verse 12, and, and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Remember, they gathered in corn. And there was no bread in all the land. The famine was very sore that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. Verse 17, And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle and so forth and so forth. And then it says at the end with bread for all their cattle for that year. What did the uh, children of Israel go to buy? What did it say that their, that their father was sending them to get? Corn. You know what they got? They got bread. Go to now Isaiah chapter number 36. One of the ways in which you can learn the definition of words is by knowing the method how God presents things. God often repeats things by repetition. He will repeat one thing after the next. Example that is, I believe the best example is what Jesus says in the book of Revelation a few times. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. So we have that, that example there, how he's repeating the same thing over and over again. I want you to look here in Isaiah 36. Look at verse number 17 with me. Isaiah 36, verse 17, it says this, Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine. Then it says this, a land of bread and vineyards. So notice it says corn and wine, and then it says bread and vineyards. Vineyards lines up with wine. Corn lines up with bread. Showing the bread. Corn is bread. Bread is corn. It's in a different form. It's the same thing in a different form. It's wheat and barley. One thing that's super important there is I want you to look at those two words, and we're going to come back to it later. This is going to be new. Notice it says wine and vineyard. Those two things together, right? Alright, I want you to go now with me to Amos chapter number 8, verse number 5. Amos chapter number 8, verse number 5. 
You know, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Get there myself. We'll see the same thing. Amos chapter number 8, verse number 5. The Bible says this, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? Notice, wheat, corn, used interchangeable. Go now to Ruth chapter number 1, verse number 22. Ruth chapter number 1, verse number 22. Ruth chapter number 1, verse number 22. The Bible says this, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem, watch this, in the beginning of barley harvest. So notice that it's in the beginning of barley harvest. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. Notice what she's going to do. To glean ears of corn. But what was, the, what was going on? What, what was the context and the time of year? It was barley harvest. So the ears of corn were actually what? Ears of barley. The dream that Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh was actually ears of barley in that dream. It was not ears of what we would think corn, but the word corn had a different meaning. So if you were to just interject your modern understanding or definition that you've been taught modern day, you would be incorrect in your understanding of what that word meant at that time. Uh, look at verse number 17 as well. It says this in chapter 2, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned. And it says, and it was about an ephah of barley. So that's extremely strong. If we compare verse 17 with verse 2, there's no way out of this. It tells you that she went to go glean ears of corn. And then it tells you that she beat out and tells you the exact amount about an ephah of barley. Eve of barley. You know, it's case closed. John chapter number 12, verse number 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So notice that. A corn of wheat. It's saying a seed of wheat. Corn is when it's in its raw form, right? It's referring to anything. It refers to, it can be, you know, what we refer to corn today as. It can be uh, uh, wheat, barley. It's just in its raw form when we see it in the Bible. So notice that it's a generic word. It's a very general word. And you know what corn is often um, coupled with or used in tandem with? It's used with corn and wine. It's used with also corn, we see it in its other version, bread. It's used with what? Bread is used with what? Bread and why? So we see there corn being a very general or a generic word. A, gen a generic word or a general word. It's not specific in the way that we use it today, is it? Wine is exactly the same way. It's a generic word that is referring to either. It's just referring to juice. It's either referring to fermented juice or unfermented juice, just like our modern dictionary definition. Oftentimes when you look in a dictionary, you'll notice that the third or fourth dictionary definition still today, that used to be the primary definition of that word. And what has happened is it slowly falls out of use and it's changing. But it's still sometimes in certain contexts and still it's until it's completely changed or completely eradicated in our modern language, 
It'll still be in there verse, you know, uh, as number three dictionary definition or number four. It's, still, it's not commonly used this way because it's falling out of use in this manner. That's why that's number three. Because it used to be that that would be the primary definition. It can either be, it's just juice. That's all that it is. It's juice and it's either fermented or unfermented. That is the definition of wine in the Bible. I'm going to give you some other examples of this. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter number 65 verse number 8. We can show that wine is clearly referring to that which is unfermented. It's just referring to juice. Isaiah chapter number 65 verse number 8. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter number 65 verse number 8. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter number 65, verse number 8 says this, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. Now, the way in which this is worded is extremely important. It's extremely important because sometimes poetically you can maybe refer to you know uh, uh, grapes when you're talking about wine or you can refer to it as its end result in what it could be. But I want you to notice what it actually says there. It says this, as the new wine is, notice what it says, found in the cluster. So the way in which it's worded is that when you go to the cluster, that what is inside of this grape, right? And the cluster, of course, is a group. That's what cluster means. A group of grapes that are still connected to the vine. They're still connected there to their own vine. And inside of those grapes, still attached to the cluster is what? What the Bible calls wine. But let me ask you this question. Is it possible even for that to be alcoholic while it's still in the cluster? It hasn't been detached yet, therefore it's still receiving you know, the nutrition. I guess it could be detached from the, uh, from the branch itself, but if, if the cluster is still connected, it's not possible for that to, the grapes to still be hanging on to the cluster even and to be rotting and decaying and spoiling. They would fall, by the time that they would rot and decay and spoil, anyways, you can't make alcohol that way in the first place. It doesn't work like that. The point is this, that if it's still in the cluster, is it possible to be alcohol? It's not. It's not possible that the juice that is inside of that grape, for it to be alcohol at that time, and it tells you, as the new wine is found in the cluster. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 10. Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 10. Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 10. We'll see this language over and over again where, where, wherein it refers to what has to be juice. It's impossible in context to be alcohol. It will over and over again refer to it as wine. I want you to look at uh, Proverbs 3, verse, uh, we'll look at verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And then he says this, and thy presses shall burst out with what? With new wine. So notice what's coming out of the press. What? New wine. Is that alcoholic? The, a press is the, is the uh, tool or the instrument that is used where a person extracts the juice from inside of the grape. They press the grapes, they squeeze out the juice from the grape, and then it goes into you know, some sort of container, right? 
and it would catch the juice after they've extracted it. Is that alcoholic? Not a chance. But the Bible says that what comes out of the press is what? It's wine. It's new wine. So over and over again we can see repeatedly that it's not just, oh, it's poetic here. Oh, it's poetic here. No, it, it's referring to it at a stage when there's no way that it's alcoholic. It's still referred to as wine. That jives with the modern dictionary definition and it jives with Scripture. Their wine's not as our wine. Their wine is poisonous and our wine is pure. I want you to go now to Deuteronomy chapter 15. We'll see this same pattern over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter number 15. <clears throat> Look at verse number 14. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress. Of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto to them. I want you to notice that he's furnishing them out of their winepress. So what's happening? What's, where, is the, where is it actually coming from? It's, it's interesting. Number one, I want you to notice too, this is, this is one of the purposes I use this at this stage in the sermon, is that that press that we saw, it's referred to as a wine press. So what it's called is a wine press, but at the time that it's being pressed, what's coming out? Juice. It's actually just pushing out juice, isn't it? That's what's being pressed out or extracted. But it's called a specifically a wine press press. And notice that this person is getting it directly from where? The wine press. You're going to furnish him liberally out of thy wine press, right? Now I want you to look with me again, Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. 14. Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. 14. So we're seeing it where it's referred to while it's in the press as wine, while it's in the cluster. These are some of the things we've seen. While it's in the cluster first, it was called what? Wine. While it was in the press, it was called what? Wine. Then he's talked about how you're going to go and go get it out of the, the press. And you're going to furnish him liberally out of the press. And what were you giving him? Wine. That's why it's referred to as a wine press. Look again, Deuteronomy chapter number 11, verse number 14. He says that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. So what are they gathering in? They're gathering in corn and then they're gathering in what? They're gathering in wine. When you gather it in, it's not alcoholic. At the time that you gather it in, it's not, it could not have been alcoholic at that point. It's not possible. So when they're bringing it in, what's it called? So we see again, while it's in the press, it's called wine. It couldn't be alcoholic. It's impossible. While it's in the cluster and it's still inside the grape, what's in there? Juice. Pure juice. But what's it called? Wine. Then, when it's being gathered in or taken from the press, and we saw this twice here, and then uh, the other one was Deuteronomy 15, 14, the last that we were in. They're gathering it in, and then also here, what was it? It's called wine. It could not be at that time alcoholic, my friend. It's not possible. Go to Isaiah 16, 10. Isaiah chapter number 16, verse number 10. So we're looking at examples right now where... It's not possible where we can eliminate the definition of fermented grape juice. Isaiah chapter number 16, look at verse number 10. It says this. And gladness is taken away and joy out of the plentiful field. And in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out. No wine in their presses. 
I have made their vintage shouting to cease. What are they treading out? Wine. They're treading out wine. He's saying you're not going to tread out any wine in your presses. It could not possibly be alcoholic. You start to see how this becomes, you know, this is redundant. It's like beating a dead horse, but it's very clearly you can eliminate the possibility of the definition being alcoholic. You can see very clearly that there's no way in this stage of the process that it could be alcoholic. But what is it referred to as? Wine. Proving that wine, as we see in our modern dictionary definition, that it is sometimes fermented, sometimes not fermented. Go again to look at Lamentations chapter number 2, verse number 11. Lamentations chapter number 2, verse number 11. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations chapter number 2, verse number 11. <clears throat> Oops. Lamentations 2, 11. <clears throat> the Bible says this, Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. And then it says this, They say to their mothers, Notice this, Where is corn and wine. When they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul was poured out into their mother's bosom. So notice that you have children, children, babes, just able to talk at this point, right? And what are they saying? What are they asking for? You have children or babies asking for corn and wine. They're saying, where is the wine? You have to have babies here or children where they are requesting alcohol. If you took the definition if you took the definition where the word wine was alcoholic every time, you would have babies. Can you imagine how stupid that that would sound in your Bible? Can you imagine one of your children saying that? Just, just put it into your mind that God would paint a picture to act like that's a blessing where you have babies requesting from their parents, where is the alcohol? Where is the corn and the alcohol? It makes the Bible stupid when you try to take this approach. It makes the Bible dumb over and over and over again and you can see that it makes no sense at all when you try to jam in this definition every single time and just avoid that the modern dictionaries tell you today that one of the possible definitions of it is what? Juice. Unfermented juice. We see while it's in its cluster, it's called wine. What is it? It's juice. We see while it's in the press, it's called what? Wine. What is it? It's juice. We see when they're gathering it in from the press, it's called what? Wine. What is it? It's juice. We see while they're furnishing other people directly from the wine press and they're giving it to somebody else, they're giving them wine. It could not, my friend, be scientifically based upon the process and the amount of time that's necessary to ferment juice. It is not possible. It's not possible to be alcohol, but the Bible refers to it as wine. Do you know why? Because your modern dictionary definition, as far as number one that's used 99.9% .9 of the time, is different. And if you think that the definition is the same, and you act like it's ridiculous, and you act like you mock the idea, it's because you are not a serious student of the Bible, or you've, or you've been brainwashed into thinking that it's every time it's wine. You couldn't, let me tell you this, it could not stand scrutiny. 
I would eat you alive with some of these verses if you tried to teach to me that every single time that the word wine is alcoholic. Explain to me the difference then, you fool, between their wine and my wine. Because I can tell you that theirs is poisonous, and I can tell you that mine, my wine, is pure. That I drank the pure blood of the grape. Guess what that is? It came out of my wine press, you fool. It's the pure blood of the grape. It's the juice from the grape. It came out of my wine press. But guess what? It's not alcoholic. Guess what? It's in the cluster of my grape. There, theirs are bitter. Mine's not. Theirs are poisonous and venomous. Mine's not. They have a different rock than I have. I have a rock that's what? Pure and clean. You know what they drank? They drank poison. They drank venom. Do you know what I drink? I drink something that's pure. I drink something that's holy. I drink something that's not poisonous. I drink something that's not venomous. If you think that these babies, that these children and these, and these uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, babes are here asking and requesting from, the, from their parents for alcohol, you are a complete idiot. You are a fool. And, you, and if, you've been, if you've been approached with this and someone has showed you these passages over and over again, you just don't want to believe it. And, and over and over again, you know what I've noticed in the Christian life? Oftentimes when people know the truth or they've been presented with the truth and they reject it and it's clear and it's, and it's, and it's very obvious, it's because you don't want to believe the truth. It's because you, it's, it, you know, your doctrine is a little bit more convenient for you. That's what it is. People want to drink alcohol. Do you know why? There's pleasure in sin for a season. That's the reason why. Do you know why people want to have the definition of wine the same every time in the Bible? Because then you have times where God's blessing it. That's why. Then you have times where Christians are doing it, where God's saying they're doing it, where they could use the Bible to say, hey, it's okay to do it. But you know what? The, when they have real problem is when you can show them, this can't be. This physically can't be. Scientifically, this cannot be alcohol. But it's still called wine. They're like, nah, that's ridiculous. You're telling me it's a different definition? Yeah, kind of like corn, you moron. Why don't you study your Bible a little bit more? This is a major, major issue. This is big... I mean, do you realize the curses and the woes that the Bible teaches about alcohol and all the warnings and how bad alcohol is? How wicked it is? Let me put it into perspective for you if you don't understand that. Can you imagine me standing up behind the pulpit this morning and teaching that fornication is okay? What's the difference? If drinking alcohol is wicked, if it is, let's say this, if fornication is sinful and wicked, right? And I stood up and I taught, hey, it's all right, go ahead and... Commit fornication. Nothing wrong with it. Go ahead. Or adultery. Let's use that, right? And I, and I stood up and I taught you that adultery was all right. If I am correct, obviously I am, that the word wine sometimes means juice and sometimes means alcohol, right? What's the difference in someone standing up behind their pulpit and teaching that the word wine means the same every time? Because do you know what the... The obvious, obvious conclusion to that is, if the word wine is always referring to alcohol, you have Jesus drinking alcohol then. Was Jesus sinless? He was. So you know what that proves? That you could do? You could drink alcohol. So you know what I would be doing if I taught? So this is the conclusion to teaching that wine is alcoholic every time. You're allowed to drink alcohol. It's a, con it's a condoning of the consumption of alcohol. That's what it is. So because of this misunderstanding or because of this denial or rejection of the truth, people stand up and they teach others, go ahead and drink alcohol. It's not a sin, the consumption of alcohol. 
I want you to go with me now to Proverbs chapter number 23. Proverbs chapter number 23. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter number 23. <clears throat> We're not going to delve all into this just yet. But I want you to look with me again at verse number 31, verse number 32. I want you to notice there's a difference. There's two types of wine. This verse makes no sense. There's no explanation if you don't accept and understand the true biblical teaching that there are two types of wine in the Bible. Look at Proverbs chapter number 23, verse number 31. The Bible says this, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Now, you know what you were just taught? There's a time when you shouldn't look at the wine. That's what you were just taught. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it is red. Now, if I told you not to look at something and then I went on to explain when, what am I doing? I'm telling you there's a time not to look at it. And there's a time when you can look at it, aren't I? I'm telling you, hey, you can look at it at this time, but you can't look at it at this time. When are you not supposed to look at it? When it is red. When it is red. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to come back to this a little bit later. But I want to go over a couple of things. Now, number one, I looked up, you know, uh, I, I wish I could have spent more time on it. But I looked up and I wanted to really study out the definition of the word wine. Where it came from, what words it came from, where it was used in the past. That's, that's very important. I mean, obviously, the Bible's my authority. I'm going to compare Scripture with Scripture. That's why I'm going to walk away with my answers of what it means. But it's still good to know the definition of words in your own dictionary. I mean, are you telling me that it's not good just to open up a dictionary? You don't ever open up a dictionary and look at the, the words in your modern dictionary? Of course you do when you're reading your Bible. It's, it's, is that authoritative or is that going to be, hey, this is my conclusion. This is what I'm hanging my hat on. Merriam-Webster said so, that's what I believe? Of course not, but it's good, it's beneficial, right? So you can still learn from this, and you can look it up in history. I love to do this. I really am into you know, language and words and stuff like that. So I decided to look it up. And our modern, our modern word, the word wine, came from the word vinum, or venom. I guess you would say venum. It would be venum, because it's Latin. The I would be E, like in Spanish. Venum, okay? That's plural in that sense. Venus is the other one. V-I-N-U-S. This is Latin. It came from a Latin word that meant wine as well. And, uh, and it had the same uh, root as, as Venus and Vinum. Or Venus and Venum. Do you know what that came from? Think about it. Think about it for a minute. What does is, what is, what is, you know, Venus or Venum make you think of? Look, think about the spelling. Vine or vineyard. Same exact thing. So... Vine or vineyard is where is basically where the word wine came from. That's basically where it came from. Now, what does what does a vineyard, you know, uh, what is a vineyard referring to? What does a vine refer to? Does it, let me ask you this: Is that exclusively about alcohol? No. Is that exclusively teaching something about hey that must be talking about alcohol? Do you not also obtain that from that word if it's talking about a vineyard or it's talking about this? It shares the same the same word in in Latin that meant wine. The same root of it meant vine and vineyard at the exact same time. Same exact word, vineyard, vine, wine, both of them. So. If you were to, you know, at that time, want to talk about a vineyard or want to talk about a vine, what, is, what are you discussing? What if you didn't drink alcohol? 
You would use the exact same word that another person would use, right? So when you look at it, you start to study and, and look at the word wine even. It's very similar to what? To the word vine. So it goes back, just like many things do, the, our modern word wine just goes back to the root of where it came from. It's related to the fact of a vineyard, of a vine. has nothing to do with alcohol. It has nothing to do with you know, uh, any sort of fermentation process. It has nothing to do with that at all. And when you look up the word venus or, or, or uh, uh, venum, do you know what the definition of that word was? Either fermented or unfermented juice. That's how it was used in context when they would read these types of things. So our word today, which you look it up in older de dictionary definitions also in English, it gives you the same exact one. The number one definition was just a vague general definition of what? Unfermented or fermented grape juice. So, you know, that's extremely important. And you think about our word wine press. What are you getting out of a wine press? It's a juice press. That's what it is. And where does it come from? From vineyards. And that's why we got the word wine from a vineyard because the primary, because it can be fruit juice. It doesn't have to be pomegranates or anything else, but the primary source of juice comes from what? Grapes, which grows on a vine. That's all that it is. If you trace it back and you look at the, the usage of it, it refers to over and over again, you can clearly see that it, it's, it's referring to just the source of where it came from. Has nothing to do with whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. I'm going to read to you now. I'll, you guys want to read this later. You can go over it later. But I found a bunch of sources. Secular, these are obviously from secular literature. So this is not authoritative as in the Bible, definition-wise. But it's still helpful to see how the word was used at those times. You can see how the word, what the word actually meant. And it'd be like this. Obviously, if we saw the same word you know, being translated by the King James Bible translators in another you know, uh, piece of literature, the exact same word at the exact same period of time being translated wine, and it was clearly talking about juice, obviously that would be helpful to you, right? So it's, it's, it's ignorant to say that that doesn't matter at all. It's helpful, but it is not authoritative. That's the way that we would refer to it. So these are examples from secular literature throughout history. Uh, you know, and this is of the word wine is being used clearly non-alcoholic. Uh, you have an example from Aristotle in the 4th century BC, the same exact word that we find in the Greek that is translated in, uh, to English as wine. He uses it and says this, it is wine in name but not in effect. What's he saying? It's, not, it's wine, but it's not alcoholic wine. That's his point. It's the exact same word that's translated in the New Testament as wine. Uh, Calixinus, uh, uh, it says they, and it says, were trampling on the grapes, and the new wine ran out, all, uh, um, ran out over the whole road. That's 300 B.C. And they translated that same exact word in English. It was translated you know, longer, you know, a long time ago. I don't remember exactly the time. I didn't look up all of them. Uh, Papias said this. And this is in 90 A.D. This is getting close to the time of Christ. Each grape shall yield 21, 5, and 20 measures of wine. So notice that. They yield wine. What, are they, what is he saying? It's going to yield juice. That's what he's saying. Babylonian paraphrase on Genesis chapter number 27, verse number 25. It paraphrases this. And it's, it's obviously not the word of God of, at all. But it says, wine reserved in its grapes. So it's saying it's juice still inside of the grapes. That's what it's saying. The Gemara speaks of, it says this, wine preserved in its grapes. 
Uh, and then uh, from in 950 AD, it's getting closer obviously, uh, glucose is the same word that's translated that in oinos from Greek. It says, the droppings of the grapes before being trodden. Uh, and then it says, uh, wine gotten from the wounding. So it clearly talks about the droppings from the grapes and it's referred to as wine. Now I'm not going to read any more. This is kind of mind-numbing. But also down here, if you guys wanted to look at it, there's, there's the word venum being used and how it's translated. It's translated as wine and it's clearly talking about juice. Not only that, the word mustum. You guys ever heard the word must? It's just a reference to fresh grape juice. That's all that it is. It's actually a common word today. It's rare. It's only used in you know, the sense of agriculture and food and dietary things. It's more of a, of a specific word for that you know, uh, context. But it refers to fresh juice, grape juice. And sometimes in the older versions, I want you to go to uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2. Sometimes in the older versions, it will translate the word uh, from Hebrew that's translated as wine in our English Bible, it will translate it to mustum in a lot of the older versions of the Bible. Again, that's not authoritative. If you took the interpretation that the word wine is alcoholic every time it's used in the Bible, that means that no one ever drank juice. It's never mentioned one time that, that anyone ever drank juice in the Bible. Besides Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 2. Not one time is juice ever mentioned. That's what you'd have to walk away with and believe. That every time someone drank wine, they were drinking alcohol every single time. That nobody, just everybody drank alcohol. They didn't drink anything else. Just alcohol only. Alcoholic wine. That's ridiculous. You make the Bible sound stupid. You really do. You make the Bible sound dumb. But then you also have God just warning people repeatedly you know, about wine. Over and over and over again. But everybody's only drinking wine. Just the whole world were a bunch of stinking winos and drunkards and wine bibbers, you know, until modern age today. I want you to look at Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, verse number 2. Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, verse number 2. Look at it in your Bible, King James Bible, which is the Bible. I'm going to read it. I got pasted here, Geneva Bible, on my uh, paper here. It says this. This is Geneva Bible in Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, verse number 2. He says, I will lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house. There thou shalt teach me, and I will cause thee to drink spiced wine and new wine of the pomegranate. So, in your Bible it says, which is the true Bible, the King James Bible, it says, spiced wine of the juice, right? Of the pomegranate, or of my pomegranate, right? So there you can see obviously that wine doesn't have to be coming from a grape. It can also be from a pomegranate. But the older translations use the word wine both times. It said... Spiced wine and new wine of the pomegranate. That's the same word both times used over and over again in Hebrew, in the original manuscripts, right? And you go back to what's you know, put into the, uh, uh, what is the Old Testament? Uh, the Masoretic Text, which is the Old Testament Hebrew. And it's compiled like it's the counterpart of the Texas Receptus. It has the same word used there. One time, you know, here in Geneva Bible, we see it being translated as wine both times. We see the King James Bible translators, what did they do? They translated it as wine once and juice one time. What's the reason? One of the main things that makes the King James Bible so beautiful is because of its just its excellent literary standpoint. It's just beautiful because of that. And, and they, when they translated this word, they just used another synonymous word. And do you know what it was? Juice. Because they didn't want this, of course, 
as Steven Anderson said, and he's correct, they didn't want it to sound redundant. That's the reason why. You don't want to say something over and over and over again and using the same words. It's better if you widen your vocabulary and use other synonymous words. It sounds better. It's only for uh, the purpose of uh, uh, literature, sounding good in literature. That's the reason, because the words have the same meaning. And you know what happened was the word want, the, the word juice be, started to become a more, a more uh, regularly used word at this time when the King James Bible was translated. So they threw the word juice in there because it was more uh, uh, regularly used at that time and it was, it was growing in usage. So just by comparing these two versions, obviously the King James Bible is perfect and pure, but it's still, at least we can learn something to it. It's, it's on the same level as a man's dictionary. G Geneva Bible is not God's Word. You know, obviously it contains a lot of God's Word in the sense that you know, it's, it's not fully God's Word. If we were to take the Bible, look at it in the sense of, you know, am I, is this, if I had the option between the King James Bible and the Geneva Bible, what are you going to go with? You're going to go in the King James Bible. The differences between the King James Bible and the modern versions is not the same as the differences between the King James Bible and the Bibles that were translated before that. The only difference really was they didn't take verses out were the words that they chose to use. That's it. And then it was updated, of course, repeatedly. And I believe that the King James Bible, God led the translators, and we have a perfect, 100% accurate translation from the original text in the original uh, inspired scripture. I want you to go now to uh, Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. Just to show that people were drinking juice at that time, and it was common, go to Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. We can see how they, how they did this. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 40, verse number 9. An example of it. It wasn't always done in such a way, but example of it. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. This is the, the dreams of you know, the, the baker and the cupbearer. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9 says this, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And it says, And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So I want you to notice how this process worked here. He actually just grabbed the grape, he pressed it directly into the cup, and then he handed it to Pharaoh. So what was Pharaoh drinking? Was he just sitting around drinking alcohol every you know, time that he drank juice? Of course not. What was he drinking? He was drinking just juice in general. Right? He was just drinking what? He, you know, Pharaoh here in this case was drinking the pure blood of the grape. That was what he was drinking. He was drinking non-alcoholic juice. That's what he was drinking. Uh, I want you to go now to Proverbs chapter number 20. Proverbs chapter number 20. I want to look at some warnings now at this point in the sermon. Some warnings about alcohol. This also tells us that there are two types of wine in the Bible because these warnings are not just, hey, don't get drunk. Because that's what oftentimes, I'm going to get into that in just a minute after we read these. That's oftentimes what the other side will teach, isn't it? Just like, hey, it's wrong to get drunk. You just shouldn't get drunk. You know, you can drink alcohol in moderation. You can consume alcohol, but just don't get drunk. Well, there's multiple warnings in the Bible just about drinking alcohol in general. And you can clearly tell when the word wine is used that it is negative, that it is alcoholic. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 1. It says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Go to Proverbs chapter 31. So, 
It just gave a, a, just a carte blanche statement. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And then it goes further and says, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Look at Proverbs chapter number 31, verse number 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Now let me ask you this question. What's being taught here to Lemuel? Is it okay for him to drink any wine at all? In this sense, none. Period. None at all. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. So Proverbs 31 Verse number four is teaching, not that there, oh, there's a certain amount that you can drink. Oh, make sure, Lemuel, that you do it in moderation. Make sure that you just drink a little bit. Just make sure you don't get drunk, Lemuel. No, it says it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not at all. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. And then it says, nor for princes, strong drink. How much should Lemuel drink according to this? Zero. It's not for kings. It's saying alcohol is not for kings. Alcohol is not for princes. Strong drink is not for kings. Strong drink is not for princes. Look at the next verse. Verse number five. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Now this is very important because I want you to notice what it says. Lest. What does that mean? Unless. Lest. They drink and forget the law. Now, is it possible that they might drink and not forget the law according to that statement? Do you understand what I'm saying? It is possible, isn't it? But he's saying this. She's saying this. Stay away from it. Do you know why? Because it's, there's a possibility that you could drink and forget the law and pervert judgment. That's what it's saying. Because, hey, you might be able to drink it and not pervert judgment. That is possible. Are there people that sometimes take a drink of what we consider to be alcohol, it ha inside of that cup, what they have, it is capable of causing them to be intoxicated? Does that exist where someone just takes one drink of it? Yes, it does. But do you know what the warning is? Don't drink it at all. Do you know why? Because there's a possibility. Lest, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Why? Because the importance of that person. Because of him being a king. Because of him being a prince. Because he's in a position, in this case, a position of authority. It says this next. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Verse 7. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Now, this it, you, 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 also, you know, the Bible is poetic oftentimes. She is not really recommending. And if you really think that, and you would try to argue that, you're a fool. She's not really recommended like, hey, that guy's a loser, just give it to him. That's not what she's saying. She's not saying, hey, you know, that guy out there, he's a loser. He's not of value like you are. You're so much more important and his life means nothing. Just give it to him so he can just die. He can drink and die. That's not what she's teaching. She's being facetious. She is being sarcastic is what she's saying. She's saying... You're important in the sense of being an authority, right? You have authority. You make decisions. You are the one that's above everyone. And you have this position of judging. You have this position of where you could be, you know, uh, uh, perverting the afflicted. 
So just give it to some other guy. Give it to the, you know, the guy down the street. What's he, what is she saying? She's trying to stress his position of significance. That's the whole purpose. And by so doing, she speaks in a facetious way and goes so far as to say, just give it to the guy that's a loser. She's trying to make a point about his kingship and why it's important that he shouldn't touch it, he shouldn't drink it, he shouldn't get anywhere near it. Why? Because he has a position of significance and he makes decisions and it affects others. You in the Bible, we are referred to, you and I, and all of God's people are referred to as kings. We're referred to as priests. We're, you know, we're talking about how we're given authority. In the parable, Jesus talks about he leaves authority with his disciples and then he goes away to a far country. You know, we have the keys of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You are given great authority. We at the church... It, it, it is, it, we are exalted throughout the Bible, talking about the importance that we have and how we're going to judge angels one day. The Bible speaks over and over again highly of God's people. We have the Word of God. There's judgment that goes on within the church. We are kings and priests. And just like Lemuel, because of his significance, you should never touch it. You should never get near it. Why? lest you pervert judgment. Amen. This is not a warning, hey, don't get drunk. Hey, let me well, you can drink a little bit. Just take one shot of whiskey. You know, just do, you know, just take a little bit of wine at night, but don't, but drink it in moderation. No, it's don't drink it at all. Don't even get close to it. Don't even get near it. That's why Proverbs 23 says, don't even look at it. Do you, you know what that reminds me of when we read that passage? What did Eve say that, that she was told about the tree? Don't look at it. Was it a sin to look at it? I believe Adam said, hey, just stay away from it. Don't even look at it. Right? And she took, walked away from that like, hey, we better not look at it even. You know, that's how she, she, she said that to, lest we die. Right? So, what, what, are, what, is, what does it mean in Proverbs 23? Is it, is it saying like if you're walking down the aisle of Kroger, or I guess Publix here, and you glance over and you look at the, the liquor aisle, you've transgressed against the Lord. You know, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't even look at it lest you drink it. Don't even look at it in a way of wanting it. Don't even get near it. Don't even get around it, right? It doesn't mean, it's not saying literally don't ever lay your eyes on it, because obviously accidentally sometimes you might glance at things like that. That's not the sin. The point is this, stay away from it. The point is this, don't touch it. Don't drink it. Don't get near it. Don't drink alcohol. That's the point. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. It's, of course, explaining the process of fermentation. That's what it starts doing. It starts moving and, and because it's alive, it's organic, it's bubbling, it's letting out air. That's what it's getting. If it, it's exhausting all the crap, literally. That's what's happening. Because it's breaking down everything and then all the bad stuff, is get, it's the refuse. It's, getting, it's, it's going off into the air, all the bad stuff. That's why it vents and it gets rid of things. Go to, um, I'm not going to read these because I've went on long enough already. Uh, you know, so Genesis chapter number 9 is the story with, with um, uh, Noah and Ham. And there's perversion involved. And you know what else is involved? Alcohol. Genesis 19 is the story with Lot and his daughters. There's perversion. Do you know what's involved? Alcohol. The book of, of Habakkuk talks about a man giving another man alcohol so that he could look at his nakedness. 
There's, there's a, also, I believe, a quote in the book of Isaiah. There's like six times where the Bible talks about perversion, about people being perverted, and it says that it takes place during a time where they're intoxicated, during a time when they're you know, inebriated, they're drunk at that time. Why would you want to even get close to it? Why would you want to even get near it? Because that's the possibility of what could happen. You know what else is? Lest you forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. John chapter number 2, don't go there. Jesus turns water into wine. Now, you know, it tells you two or three firkins apiece. If you look that up in the Bible and you get an idea of about how much that is, it's these big pots, right? And it adds up to around, you know, there's different estimates of what people will say, but when I've looked at it and when it's used, it's at least like 20 to 30 gallons. And that's what most people, they, some people will say 25, some people will say 30 to 40. It's at least like 20 to 30 gallons, Right? in John chapter number 2. It refers to it as wine. And what happens in the story is that he goes to, you know, it's at a wedding in, in Cana of Galilee. And he goes there with his disciples. And it's the beginning, it's the first miracle that Jesus ever performs. And while he's there, they run out of wine. And, you know, they go to him, his mother goes to him and tells him that, you know, they're out of wine. And, and uh, you know, he ends up, of course, turning water into wine. He tells the servants that are working there to go and fill up these vessels with water. And then when they fill it up with water, it miraculously transforms into wine. Now, the reason why they needed that was because why again? They were totally out of wine. They were completely out of wine. And you know how the Bible words it? Do you know what it says? It says that they had well drunk. That they had well drunk. So, it means they drank a lot. Right? right? I'm gonna, I wanna, I'll explain that in a minute because I'll hit on that for a second because that's important. It means they had drank a lot. They drank all of it. Now it's all gone. So Jesus then, you know, the, in the inside of each of these pots is 20 to 30 gallons. In these, these the firkins, you know, these pots are two or three firkins a piece. In total, that's upwards of 180 gallons. Do you know how much that is? That is a massive amount. There, you know, Lemuel was warned what? Not to drink alcohol. We're told wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. We're told that the children of Israel didn't drink alcohol. Why? So that they would know that the Lord was their God. We're told that the children of Israel drank the pure blood of the grape. We're told that... that their rock is not as our rock, and they drank the, the poison of ass and the venom, venom of, of, of vipers, right? Or poison of dragons and venom of ass. And that our, it's obviously teaching that our vine is clean. Our wine is clean, not like their wine, not like their vine. But you expect me to believe that Jesus is at a wedding, and the people have well drunk... And Jesus sets before them another 180 gallons of alcohol. This is why this matters. Because you know what you're doing? Either way you slice it. If you try to teach that the word wine every time in the Bible is alcoholic. Even if you say, and oftentimes the people that teach this, they say, Hey, getting drunk is a sin, but you can drink in moderation. Do you know what they have Jesus doing in this situation? They had well drunk, my friend. And now, 
He just gave them another 180 gallons of alcohol afterwards to drink. Now you have Jesus not only condoning of, of moderation like they would say. Any way you slice it, you have Jesus setting before someone who had drank a lot of wine already, alcohol. 180 gallons of it. So even if you tried to take the position, well, wine is always alcoholic, but the warning in the Bible is about getting drunk. Number one, we're told not to drink at all. Proverbs 20, Proverbs 23, don't look at it. Proverbs chapter 31. But on top of that, you have Jesus as a center, a sinner here. Breaking Proverbs 31, Proverbs 20. Jesus condoning not only of drinking it at all, but drunkenness. But of being drunk. If we take the, the version of wine being just juice, do you know what it means? He just set before him grape juice. And you know what I believe he turned it into? The pure blood of the grape. That's what he turned it into. Not the, the venom of asp. Not poison of dragons. That's what you think you're going to try to convince me that Jesus turned this water into? Is the vine of Sodom and Gomorrah? That's ridiculous. It's blasphemy. It's a big deal. And people are trying to teach this and even go so far as to say that Christians can't get drunk. They're ignorant of grammar. They don't even understand. Grammar matters. And understanding the Bible is written and it has grammar in it and it has words in it and you need to understand what the words mean and you need to get familiar with the English language and grammar. It doesn't say they are drunk. It says they, have, they had, past tense, well drunk. That's what it says. They had well drunk. Drunk there... I remember a specific conversation with one of Jessica's family members where he was trying to convince me it's saying that they are, they're drunk already. I mean, it says, look at it, it says that they're drunk. The person is, is, is intoxicated. And I'm like, you know, there's, drunk is either, here's the thing, get, it, get, it, get it a dictionary, uh, get in a dictionary, look up the definition of the word drunk, and it can either be an adjective or a past participle. Do you know when it's a past participle? When there is a verb that comes before it. Had. That's when it's being used as a past participle. You, have, you don't understand the English language. Get some stinking smarts before you start teaching something that's blasphemous, you fool. Telling me these people are coming to them and they're drunk and they're giving them more alcohol, you moron. Based on your misunderstanding of the English language. Something very basic. The word drunk can be an adjective where you're describing someone and saying, hey, you know, that person is drunk. I almost said it about Brother, Brother Russell, but that would have been inappropriate. That person over there is drunk. You're saying that person is intoxicated. But if I say that person had well drunk, that means they drank a lot. That's what it's saying. Learn the stinking English language, you moron, because this is the type of stuff you'll teach. Stand there and teach that Jesus Christ is giving alcohol to people that are already drunk. It's ridiculous. This is a big subject. Alcohol is a big subject. And I'll be honest with you, I struggled with it in my life for a period of time. And if anybody ever wants to try to teach me or try to spread this garbage to anybody, I promise you I will, I will rebuke them to their face. Amen. Try to teach that Jesus Christ is, is, is giving people alcohol. You're a stinking fool and a blasphemer. I don't care if you're an independent Baptist. I don't care who you are. You are a moron. You know, you know the, the, the children and, the, and the, they're swooning in the streets. The babes and the, and the children are swooning in the streets. Mom, where's the alcohol? You're a stinking idiot. Study your Bible. There's a difference between their wine and my wine. And you know what? 
Your wine might be the, the cruel venom of asp. Your wine might be of the, of the vine of Sodom and Gomorrah, but mine's the pure blood of the grape, buddy. I'm staying away from that filth. I don't want nothing to do with it. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to pervert judgment. That's what's going to happen. You're going to make bad decisions in your life because you're intoxicated, because you're inebriated, because you're drunk. That's why. The Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and listen to me, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I can handle it. I only drink in moderation. It's all right. I'm just going to drink a glass of it. You're a fool, you moron. I don't care if I hurt your feelings or not. You're a stinking idiot. That's what you need is your feelings hurt. That's what you need to understand, you know what? I am an idiot. You know, my dad used to call me when I was growing up, stupid, fool, smack me upside the back of my head. And I'm serious, there were times when I'd say something real dumb, where even being a, you know, a, you know, a prideful teenager, I'd be like, man, that was dumb. I'm not saying that anymore. That was stupid. And if you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have known it. Should have done it every time I did something stupid. Man. Humbled myself and realized it. But the difference is a proud heart. That's the difference. And when you're being a fool, you need to be told you're being a fool. And if you're teaching that every time the word wine in the Bible is alcohol, you're an idiot. Amen. It's a wine press because it comes from a vine, you idiot. That's what the word wine means. It comes from the same word as vine, and that's all that it means. It's just coming from the product of where it comes from. That's it. When the Bible talks about corn and wine, it's their primary food source, bread, and it's their primary drinking source, which is juice. That's all that it is. The word juice is, is virtually never used in the Bible, but the one time and only because it would have been redundant. And if it was in use more at that time, as far as the English language, we'd see the word juice more and more and more and more in the Bible. It's called wine. It's still in the clusters. It's called wine it's inside of the grape. Think about that. It's called wine while it's inside of the press. It's called wine before it's even pressed. It's called wine after it's taken out of the wine press and brought to someone. I mean, it's called wine when it's coming out of the press. It says it's going to burst forth with the new wine. It's alcohol. You're an idiot. Study the Bible, man. You're not a serious student of the Bible or somebody has deceived you. And that's what it is. You know, this is a massive, massive deal. And you know what? Alcohol is not for God's people at all. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles now. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 6 again. Deuteronomy chapter number 29, verse 6. I'm going to give you two other things. I, you know, I said I wasn't going to spit... And stomp, but that went out the door a long time ago. This is a serious subject. Amen. It's an extremely big deal. My kids are going to be taught repeatedly, don't touch it, don't look at it, don't get near it. It will destroy your life. Amen. Alcohol is one of the most dangerous things in the world today for teenagers and for, for people. You look at why people destroy their lives, you know where it starts? Alcohol. Look at those stinking bums out there. All these guys standing on the street, you know what they're doing? They're begging for money so they can go get some liquor. That's what it is. They're, beg they're standing there asking for money so they can go get some wine. I'm talking alcoholic wine. They're begging for money just so they can go buy them some vodka or some whiskey. That's what they wanted. Look at, well, look at what alcohol has done to them, all these kids. Think about that. That's where you'll end up with alcohol. Right, Out there begging for money, a stinking loser. That's what they are. That's what alcohol has done to their lives. 
Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It's a bunch of unwise fools standing out there, and they still haven't learned their lesson. You know why? Like Proverbs 23 says, When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. That's something you want to do? Yeah, it's just moderation. Just in moderation. You're an idiot. You are a fool. You don't understand the word wine in the Bible and you can't even learn from other people's experiences. How many people do you know in here? Raise your hand if you know somebody that alcohol has just destroyed their lives. Destroyed their lives. Horribly. I can... I kind of, you know, where we live in northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati is a rough area. I could tell you, I can't even, I can't even, I have two, two uncles that destroyed their lives by alcohol. I can't even, I mean, one of them is a good Christian man, really. He, he, he doesn't walk around using filthy language. I mean, he lived a, a decent life, even while being a drunk, which is hard to understand. But alcohol got a hold of him and just destroyed his life. Destroyed his life. I can't tell you how many. That's just the people in my family. How many people? That's just people that are close family. I probably have 20 people in my family that have just destroyed their life with alcohol. Destroyed it. Alcohol is so dangerous. And you got Baptist pastors standing up and teaching. It's okay to, to drink the poison of ass. It's okay to drink venom of, from dragons. I know I transposed those again. It's the same thing, right? Venom and poison, right? It's bad for you. It's bad for you. Real quick, <clears throat> I sent this video to you guys. So people, another objection is that people will say over and over and over again, you can't, they couldn't preserve juice. They weren't able to preserve juice. You know, I've read tons on it, even outside of this video. This is what people are, here's the thing. People think like, it comes from the philosophy of evolution, like we are so wise today. <laughs> We are so wise and they were just a bunch of cavemen, you know, thousands of years ago. They were smarter than us in a lot of areas. There's a lot of things that we figure out that they knew that we don't even understand. And they were, they especially areas of food and all types of stuff. I watched this thing online the, uh, on YouTube. The guy's name is Townsend's. Man, he talks about some stuff sometimes. It's like, how did they ever figure that out? Like they're trying to preserve something and they'll put like this other product, like this other food, just like in a jar with it. And it's like, what in the world? Like, I'm just making this up right now. This doesn't, these don't have these chemical properties. But they'll just put, they want to like preserve something like rice or something and they'll put like an onion in there. Obviously that made no sense. But you get my point. It's like, how did they ever figure that out? They understood a lot of stuff that we don't have a clue about. Because we, we, we rely on technology today. And, we, and there's so many truths about, especially the area of science and, and medicinal, you know, medicinal things and foods and dietary, they knew that we don't have a clue about. That we're just ignorant because of our, how our modern technology and day and age and money and stuff like that has just taken over. You know, how people would know how to navigate with the stars, how they could stink it. They could do all kinds of stuff because they had to. You pull out your GPS and rely on Siri, right? They had to actually know it and understand it. They were very intelligent and it's a stupid attitude to say that they were just dumb. They didn't know how to do that. There's many resources that you can look it up. I spent the past couple days looking up tons of stuff. They knew all different types of ways to preserve juices. They had tons of ways to preserve it without it being alcoholic. And without it turning to alcohol. So there's a video online if you're interested in looking it up where a guy does an experiment and demonstrates that it can be preserved. It's called 
Wine in the Bible, Ancient Juice Preservation Experiment Part 1. And then there's also a Part 2 if you're interested in watching it, where he preserves it and shows that it can be preserved past you know, the time when it should be turning alcoholic, right? Um, and then there's a book that I would recommend. I read quite a bit of it last night on Google Books. I spent, uh, you know, a long time reading it last night. It's Grape Juice in the Bible, and it's called God's Blessing for His People. Richard Teachout. I don't have a clue who that guy is. He's a Baptist because he mentioned it while I was while in the uh, uh, book while I was reading it. And I probably read like, I don't know, 30 pages of it or something like that total. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. He says that he had was taught at a Baptist theological seminary that they couldn't preserve juice, that that's how they convinced him wine was alcoholic every time in the Bible. But he still kind of hung on to, he didn't like, he, he, it didn't feel right to him. You're telling me Jesus drank alcohol? And one of the things that really, that, that he felt like he, he, you know, that threw him away from it was just because he kept hearing they couldn't preserve juice. They couldn't pre preserve juice. Well, he went to uh, um, France, I think it was. I think he was in France. And somebody brought out some juice, and it was way past the time of harvest. And they gave it to him, and, it was, and he was like, you don't drink alcohol, right? He's like, no. He's like, okay, I'll get you something. He went down to the cellar, and he got him some juice. And he gave him a glass of it, and he's like, how in the world do you have this right now? You know, it's eight months past or nine months past harvest. And he's like, we preserve it. What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? And he's like, what do you mean you preserve it? Like he, I'm sure he sounds like a completely, complete idiot. That's not possible. He's like, there's like five methods of preserving juice. And it's super basic and super easy. And the guy explained it to him. And then that sent him on this path where he started studying it in the Bible. Tons of verses and stuff. He had a, ton of, a lot of the same verses, some other verses. He realizes the same thing, that it's teaching the same thing. That's obviously not wine in that context. Then he looked up, he's obviously not King James only. Looks up the word in the Hebrew, looks up in the word in the Greek and all that crap. We can learn it from the King James Bible, right? It's, it, you could, it could be you know, uh, uh, beneficial, secondary. It's not authoritative. We can just go to the King James Bible and learn these things. Um, and then you can look this up. And this is actually the recipe that the guy who did the experiment in the YouTube video used. Uh, it's, it's a recipe from a guy named Lucius Junius Moderatus uh, Columella. Columella is what it is. Columella. Look that guy up. He was a prominent writer on agriculture in the Roman Empire. And this is where these recipes came from. He actually lived, he was a, con a contemporary with Jesus. So they preserved juice at that time, my friend. And uh, what people say is, you know, at the Passover, they couldn't, it had to have been alcoholic because they couldn't have preserved juice because the time period that it, that uh, the time, the amount of time that took place between harvest of the grapes and the Passover, it couldn't have been. It had to have been um, you know, alcohol, because they just have to let it go bad in order to have it. That's foolishness. That's this guy was a contemporary. Everybody knew how to do it. They drank juice. They've always known how to do it. They knew these things better than we did. Uh, one point, and then we're going to read that that verse where you're at. The other point is that you know people will people will uh, 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 say um, you know about particularly about alcohol. They'll say, well, everything has alcohol in it. So now you have to decide. You know, how much is too much? This is their argument in saying that you can drink it. They'll say, well, you know, what about kombucha? You know, what about, you know, you know if you open up, you know, uh, you know any sort of uh, uh, soda pop, right? And pop it open. You know, air is what causes it. It gets in there. It's like how rust, it's when it's with air, it, it's going bad. It's corroding, right? So air is what breaks down the molecules. So when you open it up, you allow it to be exposed to air, it starts breaking down. So where do we draw the line? Therefore, we must be able to drink it. That's stupid. What about hair length? Does God give you a specific length that you're allowed to have your hair, men? 
Does God give you a specific length that your, that your hair has to be women? He says long and short. Just because I don't know exactly where that line is, doesn't mean there isn't a line. Right? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just stay away from it. And this is what my rule of thumb is, and I think that this makes perfect sense. If whatever is in that cup, or whatever that percentage, let's say this, whatever the percentage of alcohol is, if it has the capability of causing you to be intoxicated at all, don't drink it. It's like this. Humanly possible, you can only consume a certain amount of, like it's like the gallon challenge, right? With milk, they're like, hey, try to drink a gallon. You can't. Your body like ejects it. Well, there's a certain thing with water and stuff too, right? There's only a certain amount you can drink. You can throw it up or, you know, or die, right? So if the percentage that's in that, inside of that uh, drink, whatever it is, of alcohol, if it's high enough to where it's even possible for you to consume that amount and get drunk or any amount and get drunk, you need to stay away from it. This is the point. And not only stay away, you shouldn't go like, hey, 0.2% away from that. Stay as far away from it as you can. You know, I've, specifically, I've heard the example of kombucha. You could never consume enough kombucha to be walking around here. You know, write your song lead, pastor. You know, Brother Hall, right? It's not possible. You couldn't sit. I'll, you know, I could buy you 15 kombuchas and sit back there and chug them. You know what would happen before you ever got drunk? You'd be so full and you'd be getting sick. You need to stay that far away from it to where you're never able. Don't drink anything that even has the possibility. Right. Because everything has you know, small, minimal amounts or traces of alcohol in it. If it has sugar, it immediately breaks down to some degree. And it, it's more and more amounts of alcohol as time goes by. All those sugar molecules are going to continue to break down and it's just increasing the amount of alcohol. That's what's happening inside of an alcoholic beverage, or sugar beverage, sugary beverage. That's what's going on inside of it. Don't even get close to the line. My wife and I aren't trying to like find this like moderate level of like where my hair is here and her, or her hair I guess would be here and then mine's like here, right? You know, she has long hair and I have short hair and I'm not trying to find out where the line is, right? And I don't think you guys would think I look very cool anyways, right? So, you know, stay away from it. Don't even get close to it. It's a stupid argument. Just because we don't know exactly where the, the line is doesn't mean there's a line. There's not a line. So that's a bad, bad argument. And then people also say this, what about the warnings about getting drunk? Right? There's all kinds of warnings about being drunk. That means that it's okay to drink, just not get drunk. Does everyone know what, what is called a non sequitur? Non sequitur is a Latin phrase. It's a logical fallacy. It's a type of logical fallacies. There's all types of them, like an authoritative appeal. Like you're like, hey, the professor said it, therefore it's true. That's a non sequitur. That it, sequitur comes from our word like sequence. It means it doesn't follow. Like your conclusion doesn't follow, right? So it's a non sequitur to say there are warnings about being drunk, therefore I can drink but not get drunk. That's like saying this. We are told not to kill people. Therefore, it's okay if I punch Brother Russell in the face after services. <laughs> Do you understand how that's a non sequitur? It doesn't follow. They're both wrong. Drinking, getting drunk is wrong and drinking alcohol is wrong. And there are warnings about getting drunk and there are warnings about drinking alcohol. Right. You're told not to look at it. You're told not to get near it. You're told not to, you're told not to drink it. You know, it's not for kings. Unless you, you know, are the guy that's in the gutter. You know, it's not for you. And you are God's people. Amen. You're a partaker of the divine nature. You know, 
I don't know how much more value that you know you could have. Don't get near it. Don't touch it. Right? These are stupid arguments. And if anyone who has any logic at all can debunk all those stupid arguments. So you're in uh, Deuteronomy 29:6, right? So I want to make this last statement. I'm totally done. This is the conclusion. Drinking alcohol is not for the seed of Israel. It's not for God's people. It's not for those that are of God, those that are born again. Kings and priests were referred to as in the New Testament, right? We are to be set apart. We as God's people should live holy lives, sanctified and, sanctified and set apart lives. We should live pure lives. Deuteronomy 29 verse 6 says this, You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You should not drink it. You should not drink wine. You should not drink strong drink. Why? Because God is holy. Therefore, be ye holy. Amen. We need to, you know what you need to drink? You need to drink the pure blood of the grape. God wants us to be pure and clean. Therefore, we need to live wholesome lives. You know what's for us? The blessing is for us in the pure blood of the grape. That's what it's referring to. That's what we as God's people should be consuming. We have the priests in the Old Testament. What is their purpose? They're to be set apart. They're to be sanctified. They're to be holy. Right? You think of like the pastor in the New Testament, right? Does, there are certain standards in order to be a pastor. But don't you think that everybody should strive to meet those standards? Because those standards are what is good and what is holy and what is right, right? Don't you think everybody should be trying to meet them? It's just like, nah, that's just for the pastor. Not given to, you know, much wine. That's for the pastor, right? Don't you think that everybody should strive to meet all of those standards, right? Of course. Everyone should. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, everybody should have strived to meet those standards. They weren't allowed to drink alcohol. Why? Because they were set apart. They were holy. They were for God's purpose. They were sanctified. Do you know who else wasn't allowed to drink alcohol? The Nazarites. Well, I said the priests. The Nazarites. You know why? Because they're set apart for God's purpose. They're set apart for God's use. They weren't allowed to drink it. Not at all. Because they were God's people. Now, obviously, God would love to have that for everyone. He would love to have that for everyone. That's why he made the statement, you have neither drink wine, drink wine or strong drink, because we need to be holy. That's why we should drink the pure blood of the grape. Judges 13.4, this is about Samson. It says this, and I'm, I'm finished. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink. We should never drink it. That's the, the conclusion. When we understand there's two types of wine in the Bible... There's a type of wine you can drink that's unfermented juice. There's another type of wine that you need to be aware of. You need to stay away from. There's woe and sorrows and curses that come with it. You need to stay totally away from it. God doesn't want you to drink it. And we need to be aware of it. Is there any time or any amount of alcohol that's allowed, that's allowable to drink? Alcohol that can get you drunk? None. That is our position. I've been preaching on Sunday mornings on Baptist doctrine. This is a Baptist doctrine. And we subscribe to this doctrine. You can call it teetotalism. You can call it whatever you want. But we believe that it is wrong to drink any amount of alcohol, period. Amen. At all. It's not aware. Beware, I pray thee. Drink no wine or strong drink. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, dear Lord, for all the warnings of, of wine. We thank you how, how clear it becomes that there's, there's our wine, there's their wine, dear Lord. There's our vine, there's, there's their vine. Uh, we thank you, dear Lord, that you, that you give us the strong warnings. We thank you, dear God, uh, that we can see uh, what a disaster in giving us examples of what alcohol will do to your life. Uh, we thank you, dear Lord, for, for giving us uh, the pure blood of the grape and what a blessing it is and all the foods that you've given us and all the drinks that you've given us that are blessings, dear God. We thank you for bestowing those upon us. Help us to be satisfied with that which is clean and wholesome and not desiring that which is, is wicked and poison and, and, and venom. We don't want that, dear Lord. We ask, us to, we ask you, dear Lord, to be with us and, and to keep us safe and that you would instill in all the children here how wicked alcohol is and how... It can deceive you, and you can walk away thinking, oh, it's okay to drink some of it. But actually, it's like a viper. It's just waiting to bite you and to sting you at any moment. Help them to understand how dangerous it is and to be simple concerning evil. Never even want to touch it, taste it, or be around it. Help us, dear God, to stand steadfast on all of these doctrines. They may be known as Baptist doctrines, but we believe them because they're Bible doctrines. Just be with us and bless our church and help us to grow. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen.